Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, WCC, we are going to be in Leviticus. And uh, I want to say I love you all. That I get to do Leviticus when I come up here um, is a real blessing to me. Uh, I, I, I don't have a lot of people that are giving me the way to go you um, outside of our church when I mention that we're in Leviticus. Um, and that's okay. I don't really need it. <clears throat> I'm young, so sometimes I think, take that as a challenge. Um, but I was so blessed just by my little daughter asking, where are we at today? And she has Leviticus open. Um, that, that's the greatest blessing I think I'll walk away with today. So Leviticus chapter 10. Go ahead and turn there. And while you're turning there, um, Josh, can you go ahead and put up that little slide I gave you? I have a slide today. Um, what I have up here is called a chiasm. And I'm only bringing this up because the women in their Bible study are going through the Psalms and they're learning what chiasms are. And so guys, we got to know this too. We can't have them smarter than us and more holy than us, okay? So a, a chiasm is a, is a linguistic device used to put a chapter or a, a small section even times of scripture into order with a main emphasis in the center. I believe I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. That Leviticus chapter 10 is written in a chiastic structure. The first and last point of this chapter, somewhat parallel, we see the punishment of Aaron's sons, unauthorized worship, and then we see their pardoning when authorized worship. We also see the next point, which is paralleled, is Moses' instruction in verse 6 and 7, and then also in 12 and 15. And I think the central part that Moses wants us to focus on today is Yahweh's instruction in verse 8 and 11. So we might leave that up there for a minute or two, and then it will be removed um, if you really want to write that down. So hopefully you're in Leviticus chapter 10. Follow along with me as I read. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their... Res- receptive fire pans and after putting fire in them placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord then Moses said to Aaron is what the Lord spoke saying by those who come near me I will be treated as holy And before all the people, I will be honored. So Moses, so Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Moses called also to Mishael and Elsaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uzel, and said to them, Come forward, carry uh, your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they came forward and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had said. 
Then Moses said to Aaron and to the sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes so that you will not die and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so as you make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean, and so as you teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Then Moses spoke to Aaron and to his surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Take the grain offering that is left over from the Lord's offerings by fire, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy." You shall eat it, moreover, in the holy place, because it is your due and your sons, due out of the Lord's offering by fire. For thus I have been commanded. The breast of the waver offering, however, and the thigh of the offering, you may eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they have been given as your due, and your sons due out of the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the sons of Israel, the thigh offered by lifting up and the breast offered by waving, they shall bring along with the offerings by fire of the portions of fat to present as a wave offering before the Lord. So it shall be a thing perpetually due you and your sons with you, just as the Lord has commanded. But Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it had been burned up So he was angry with Aaron's surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, saying, Why did you not eat the sin offering at the holy place? For it is most holy, and he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, since its blood had not been brought inside into the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary, just as I commanded." But Moses, sorry, but Aaron spoke to Moses, Behold, this day they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like these happened to me, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? Then Moses heard that. It seemed good in his sight. This is the word of the Lord. What on earth is going on? What on earth is going on? This is a terrifying passage for me. On several accounts, the two most pressing is I am a leader. We have two priests selected by God, slain by fire. I'm also a father of two sons. Aaron, in this 
account watches his sons consumed. Parents, pray for your children every day. And be comforted that God is good. What's very striking about Leviticus chapter 10 is this happens the same day as Leviticus 9. If you remember in Leviticus 9, these four sons of Aaron and Aaron himself are celebrating the eighth day. They have been inaugurated into the priesthood. They have presented sacrifices before the Lord. The people have rejoiced. Fire from God has come down and received these sacrificing as pleasing in his presence. This is the day for the nation to celebrate. The law has been written out. This is how offerings are to happen. The men have been set apart. These are the ones that are to perform it. It has been performed. The people have rejoiced. They can now take confidence that Yahweh receives these sacrifices. And then two-fifths are consumed. What's going on? We see the punishment of these sons in verses 1 through 5. In verse 1, we simply read that Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, unauthorized fire. And we're left still today scratching our heads wondering what on earth has happened. And if you open some commentaries on Leviticus, there's a lot of theories out there. Later on in Leviticus 16, 1 and 2, the law makes mentions of the seriousness of not entering into the Holy of Holies except by the high priest at a very specific time. Maybe Nadab and Abihu and all their religious regalia and joy thought maybe they could privilege themselves into this sacred place and for that they were killed. Possibly, It's possible, verse 7 mentions the importance of the other sons that are not struck dead to stay inside the tent of meeting. Maybe maybe Nadab and Abihu walked outside the tent and grabbed coals or fire from one of the camps among the tribes. That's not authorized. It's possible, and this is a Baptist conspiracy, maybe they were drunk. Mentions of it. Speaks on it quite clearly in, in Verse 9 of chapter 10. Maybe they just did something simply out of place. I don't know what it is. I have kind of some hunches. I think it's the fire from outside the tent of meeting myself. I'm not sure. Whatever the case is, it was offensive to God. And God did not allow that to slide. So in verse 2, we read that they are executed. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died. Worship is important unto the Lord. How we approach the Lord is important. We're on this side of the cross. And oftentimes we move with presumption. We've been afforded such grace and mercy and forgiveness through Christ. And because of that, many times we minimize God's holiness, his instruction, 
and this serious call to worship him. So what does worship serve? Why do we worship? What's its purpose? This is a very, very important question. And I think chapter 10 of Leviticus helps us think through this. When I hear about people describe what church they go to, they oftentimes talk about how worship is a blessing unto them. Worship should be a blessing to them. But a lot of times when they kind of explain why they situated where they were, it's because they selected the right style, the right instruments, the right stage presence, the right song selection. We're very gifted right now that Chris doesn't do a bad job. (laughs) He does a really good job. The way in which Chris, you minister to us, does not cause distraction. It doesn't elevate you and your giftedness, though it's apparent. Um, it, It doesn't do anything for me but remind me of God's goodness and it encourages me to sing audibly for my children to learn and to see what we're doing. The ultimate purpose of our worship is to make much of God and his infinite work. Believers desiring to worship in spirit and in truth as Christ instructs do not make worship about their experience. Nadab and Abihu are not consumed because they didn't get the best out of their experience. It wasn't like they were just suppressing the giddies and that's why they were consumed. It wasn't because they didn't lift their hand high enough. It wasn't because an instrument was out of tune or they were really frustrated with the song selection. They did not make much of God. Nadab and Abihu failed in making God great by neglecting what God has spoken. And for this, they are executed. Make much of God. That is what is required in worship. Make much of God. Several of you came here today not feeling excited, not feeling giddy or bubbly. Maybe you're nervous. I am. I only got one adult watching my, my two youngest. I'm nervous. Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you're terrified. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe you feel like you've just been beaten up because of church. Maybe you're just waiting to hear from the Lord and you feel like he's just shutting you out right now. Worship is about elevating God's worth and his glory. And let me tell you, a result of when you do that, beloved, you receive comfort. You are encouraged when declaring who he is and what he has done, how he is faithful, how he is good and beautiful and loving. When you place those things on your lip, when it pierces your heart, it is uplifting. But don't don't put... Number two, your heart in front of number one, God's glory. Declare that glory. Declare his worth. Elevate what he has said as true and good and best. And in doing so, the heart, beloved, 
will follow. So they, they lie dead and they are consumed. And Moses, in verse 3, explains what has happened. He looks at Aaron and says, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Reason number one. Nadab and Abihu came to me in their ignorance, in their pride, in their better idea, and they did not regard me as holy, but they were priority. Reason number two, before all the people, I will be honored. You don't have to be a church leader to have a following. The majority of us, if we are potty trained, have someone that looks up to us. And it's our desire in all things in life to honor the Lord. These two priests on the day of inauguration before all of the tribes had the duty and responsibility of honoring the Lord and in worship and in celebration and in sacrifice to God, they dishonored him. And it's recorded, so Aaron therefore kept silent or he kept his peace. Aaron knew there's no argument to be had. This is the Lord's tabernacle. These are the Lord's Offering. These are the Lord's people. How am I going to argue against Yahweh? Fire has come out from the tabernacle and consumed my sons. What defense do I have? John Stott, in his book, Cross of Christ, talks about God's anger, and I think it really helps me Because I came to this passage really messed up. But his instruction of God's anger I found beautiful. He shares, God's anger is not quick-tempered, give me a moment, malice, spiteful, or vindictive. It isn't mysterious, irrational, or unpredictable, but always predictable. Because it is provoked by evil and evil alone. That's where our anger is completely alien from God. Our anger comes from a self-love. Our anger is vindictive. Our anger comes from a personal assault. You offend me. You offend something that is close to me and my interest. I will attack. And anger usually is a sign of a lack of self-control. God is self-control. I love when Stott mentions it's not unpredictable. And I think, how is God's anger not unpredictable? But then as you read through the Bible, there are several times when the holy instruments of the Lord are touched and not managed well, and death strikes those tending to these utensils immediately. They should have known this. There's no negotiation here. When you come to the sanctuary, when you present offerings before me, 
this is understood. There's no gray line here. You are to be holy. You are to be clean. Scott continues, The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. The Lord hates sin. And this might sound too simple or too harsh to you. But going against God's word is simply sin and is simply rebellion. You might think, isn't that, an, isn't that a bit too much? Do you think too little of God's word? And do you think too highly maybe of your own feelings and of your own posture and position? Now, there's a lot of grace in this passage, and beloved, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So we find in verse 4 and 5, Moses calls for Mishael and Elsaphan, cousins, to carry out Nadab and Abihu. Verse 4, so Moses called also to Mishael and, El- and Elsaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Yezel, and said to them, come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they came forward and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had said. So priests on this occasion, and especially today, are to remain clean, and they're not supposed to touch the dead. This has been talked about previously in Leviticus, and it will be talked about again later in the law. If you are a priest serving at the tabernacle, you are to be holy and to be ceremonially clean. And dead bodies are dirty, so they could not take part in this. Also, they are to show that they are in allegiance to what God has done. They're not in the favor or the side of those that have rebelled. They are with God. They are seen as unclean. And, and mention, it mentions here, they're still willing, wearing their tunics, Nadab and Abihu. These vestments that they're wearing, this regalia, the Lord has given special instruction for them to wear. It serves a purpose, and it is beautiful and elaborate. And here these two men lay dead in this beautiful gown. The gown does not save them. The outward appearance does not save them. How they look does not save them. The Lord sees through those garments. And this is a reminder for us and for Israel that you might look beautiful. You might look very Christian and moral. But Yahweh... He knows the inside. The Lord knows the inside. They are dirty and they are cast out of the camp where the parts of sacrifices that are not pleasing to God are placed. This is a severe punishment. Imagine Aaron, the high priest, his sons, now corpses, taken away. 
He cannot join in the funeral service in the wake, in in that moment of mourning, but he sees them taken away and treated as unclean. Moses gives instruction in verse 6 and 7. And he tells them that Aaron, Ithamal, Ithamar, and Eleazar are to align themselves with his position. Verse 6, Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear the clothes, so that you will not die, and that you will not become that." he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. So, so right there, Moses is saying, you cannot show yourself to be mourning in this time. It was custom, it was expectation when a loved one passed that you did not fix your hair in the morning, that you did not wear your best, but instead you tore your clothes He's saying, you're not to do that. Why? Because you're in service to me. I have set you apart. And what's greatest priority right now is that I am worshipped accurately and correctly. But, it continues, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. So the Lord doesn't say they cannot be mourned. But publicly in front of the nation, Aaron is to see this action as just and as righteous. But the Lord is very understanding of the pain and of the loss and the severity that has happened. It's not wrong for them to be mourned. But these priests that are in leadership that are representative of Israel are to represent pure obedience and submission and delight in what God has said. So the family will mourn. Further instruction, you shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. You're anointed, there are restrictions, there are not exceptions, even with the death of your sons. You must stay away from the camp. You are holy, and God's holiness cannot be profaned. Then we see something beautiful in 8 and 11. God instructs Aaron. So this has happened And and is there going to be any relationship with God and with Aaron? Is Aaron going to choose to follow God? Is God going to choose to follow his high priest Aaron after the rebellion of his two sons? And beloved, this is the only time in Leviticus God approaches Aaron and Aaron alone. Every other time, it's with Moses. Moses is the one that stamps the approval. Moses is the one that speaks between the high priest and God. Aaron speaks for the people. He has that gifted tongue. But Moses is always serving as an intermediator between the high priest and Yahweh. And after this significant event happens, 
after this sin, after this harsh execution and punishment, the Lord chooses to speak to Aaron. There's a lot to learn here, and more than just about drinking. It's gonna, we're going to get there in a second about drinking. But think about this. The Lord will pursue you. Even in the depths of the pit, in your brokenness, in your anger, in your doubt, in your fear, the Lord is gracious and pursues those he loves. I don't know where you're at right now. But take comfort. Aaron was pursued and addressed by God. So he tells them in verse 9 that they're not to drink wine or strong drink. And I believe I interpret this while they are in service at the tabernacle. And there are several reasons why they are not uh, to drink. One is so they may live, if you look at the passage, uh, so that you will not die. And I think the reason is I do not want you drunk. You found out that this is not a playground. Coming before the, the Lord isn't just a free ice skating rink where you can kind of fra-la-la here and hang out there and do some spinning axles. You are to be self-controlled. Is it a time of celebration? Yes and amen. But you are to be clear-headed. In addition, the Lord also instructs that you are to know the difference between what is pure what is holy and what is unclean. So don't just be unprepared. Like ministers, if you have a Sunday school, if you preach, whatever you might have, come prepared. What you speak, what you say, represents God in that moment. Following over, the Lord also includes priests are to be teaching while performing. So the people are learning what is going on in the different offerings and sacrifices before them. And they might have additional questions about what is taking place or what God has given instruction to or the significance of maybe what's on their chest or, or how the coals are incense or the flowers being handled, why it is that we take carcasses outside of the camp. They are to be sharp. They are to be teaching and instructing. So they are to be clear-headed. Then we go to something really that was, for me, a huge distraction in this chapter. Moses gives another instruction in verse 12 through 15. And when I say that it's a distraction, God's word is good. My mind is slow. I'm still focused on these two sons have been consumed. And now Moses is going to give special instruction and extra detail. And then there's some commotion happening between Moses and Aaron. So I'm hoping that we can clarify some of that. In verses 12 through 15, Moses starts giving instructions about the grain and fellowship offering of sacrifice. They have not yet completed the responsibilities of the day. And Moses shares with Aaron and his sons, we still need to go forward in giving full honor to God. There's some weight in this leadership here. 
very thankful I was not an Old Testament priest. Very thankful high priest so far removed from me. Moses, I think, desires to re-explain what we have already read, but I'm going to glance over that. Then also mentioned is this grain offering, which is most holy, and was to be eaten by the priests alone. In 16, we have a further instruction of Moses and how he is concerned they are possibly mishandling a specific offering. Moses assures Aaron and his sons, continue in what has been recorded, continue how you've been instructed. We are to be proper about this. And in all of the commotion, verse 16, Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering. So as they're moving forward, he looks back and he notices this goat offering has been consumed. It's burned. And Moses gets angry. Why have you mishandled the sin offering? This is the sacrifice that serves as atonement for our sins. Yahweh has already given instructions and said, if you misstep in certain ways, the whole congregation, that's the whole nation, will die. This is larger than just your life. How could you allow this sin offering to be neglected? So he does some investigation. Verse 17, why do you not eat the sin offering of the holy place? It's not to be completely burned up, but you are to eat from this sacrifice. It shows that it's pleasing and acceptable. As the priest eats of this sin offering, it represents that the offering is pleasing to God and he receives them and pardons them. Aaron has to have had a terrible day. The lecture continues, why do you not eat the sin offering at the holy place, for it is most holy. And he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, since its blood had not been brought inside into the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary, just as I commanded. I don't know how much strength is in Aaron at this point in verse 19. Aaron replies, Behold, this very day they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like these happened to me, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? This sin offering, if presented on behalf of the people, sorry, the priest could eat. But include, but if they include their sin, if they offer this sin offering on their behalf, as well as on the behalf of the people, they are not to eat. They're not to make a profit from sinning. They can't come with a goat and say, I've sinned today and I'm hungry. Let me slay it and then enjoy choice meat. If their sin is included, all of it is burnt to a hole. Aaron says in his humility, while being addressed and investigated by his brother. Look at what today has been. 
Look at how the Lord has pronounced judgment. Is it right for us to not find our guilt in today? Because within the priesthood there is guilt, we are abstaining. There is a lot of beauty here in that not everything is mapped out perfectly for us and our imaginations run, I hope, in the best of ways. We don't know precisely what Nadab and Abihu did. Eleazar, Ithamar, we don't know how they feel they're guilty. We don't know if it's simply because they're part of the lineage of Aaron. We don't know if Nadab and Abihu went from their recommendation But we do know they took ownership of it, and for it, they humbled themselves. When Moses heard that, it seemed good in his sight, and he was at peace. My tendency is to come to this passage and think, man, I better be a really good leader. I better be a good pastor. I better be a good dad. I better be a good employee. But I'd prefer instead to correct that inclination and make much about Christ. How victorious is Jesus who perfectly followed the Father's instruction, presented himself clean and holy, and perfectly atoned for all of our sins. How great and mighty is Jesus. So what I would ask of you is to cry out to our high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, and receive his faithful ministry and work of salvation. Receive his pardoning, that he may absorb the steady wrath of God that is on all those who are wicked. And instead, be made clean and holy before the true and living God. Do not leave here wearing beautiful vestments. Do not leave here bragging about what courts or splendorous places you have been at. Leave here clothed in Christ's sacrifice and take confidence in his righteousness. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for the son that you sent. Father, I thank you that you supplied us with a high priest from above. I thank you that you sent us God the son, not simply a man. I thank you that he followed you in pure obedience and that he laid his life down and that he ransomed many so that we may come before you in worship. May we be faithful to worshiping you in truth, in a pure spirit, and may we be faithful in exalting your name. Speak to us kindly in our failures. Thank you that you pursue us even in our weakness. We say all things in Christ's name. Amen.